0: Hi, this is Dave Andervine, and you're listening to the Kick Aspirational podcast. This is uh, season one, episode 18, and uh, this is uh, about something that I'm calling embodied solidarity. Um, <laughs> you may have heard about that if you've been listening to previous episodes, particularly when we're talking about um, uh, Sam God film and uh, some of the professors who who stood up uh, for themselves and and I think for uh, for other people in, at the school at Wheaton College um, over this issue of what we call Same God, over the idea that uh, it's okay for Christians to put on a hijab at Advent, to live in solidarity with persecuted Muslims, um, to recognize that we all come from Abraham, whether you're Jewish or Christian or Muslim, and that Abraham had one God. And that although we may worship that God very differently and view that God very differently, um, we all come from that same origin. So um, I didn't know what embodied solidarity meant as a term, or hadn't used the term, I should say, until Linda Midget, uh, who was a friend of mine from Wheaton and an Emmy award-winning TV and film producer, called me, uh, one day and asked me if I would help her produce a film about this, this topic. Um, last week we interviewed the team who created the same God film professors, Louisa Hawkins and Michael Mangus, uh, from Wheaton college. And of course, Linda Midget, the filmmaker, uh, we were in new Orleans. We were after this, the first screening we had in new Orleans for the same God film. And, um, We were at the New Orleans Film Festival where we had, by the way, two fantastic screenings. Uh, Both were either full or very full, by the way, during the day, midweek, from a lot of people who had nothing to do with Wheaton College. And the questions that we got and the engagement we got afterwards were really outstanding. People, um, I think, emotionally just getting really uh, kind of activated and saying, how can I do something? Um, How do we we understand this better? And that's really the goal of the film uh, is to help people understand that, you know, it's, it's not about whether, whether Wheaton or Larisha were right or wrong. It's really more about, Hey, when somebody stands up and, and, um, you know, is, is being persecuted or harassed, how do you support them? How do you get engaged? How do you put your body, uh, in that place with them to stand by them and to stand with them in, in, in solidarity? So, um, Like I said, the film's doing really well. Uh, We were just at the New Orleans Film Festival, and then last week we were in Chicago. So we were we were in New Orleans. It was really about two weeks ago. We were in New Orleans. Uh, We cut the interview. And by the way, I'm sorry about the the sound quality. I'm not a sound engineer. I'm I'm trying to get better at it. We were we were (laughs) shooting that uh, doing that interview in my hotel room with two mics and four people. And, um, you know, we, we did, I did as, as well as I could. I thought I had it pretty well pulled together. It was, it's listenable. It's not my, the best recording we've ever done, but uh, hopefully you get something out of it. Um, so the film's doing really well. We had these great screenings in New Orleans. Uh, very well attended. The Q-, Q and A was fantastic. It went on as long as we could hold the studio, or the the um, not the studio, but the the uh, place where we f- the the, the uh, place where we're showing the films, the cinema, and um, we just did a sold out screening in Chicago uh, this past week at the Museum of uh, Broadcast Communications. Our friend Julian Jackson, who's the executive director of that museum. Uh, made that space available. We had hundreds of people that showed up. We had people that couldn't get tickets. We had great Q and A afterwards. It was really fantastic. And now, um, we, are not really distributing the film yet because we're going, you know, that's part of the process right now when you're at film festivals, but we've already got, um, one of the major theaters downtown wants to actually start screening it because they heard how, how many people showed up and the response we had and coverage we had from the Chicago Tribune and NPR. It was just, it's really been fantastic. Um, so I posted a photo on Instagram that captures what I think the same God film is all about: embodied solidarity, about standing with the least of these, the powerless, the people who are being persecuted, being taken advantage of by society, and you know what I would call systemic dis- discrimination. Um, many times so prevalent that it's hard to see if you're not even the one oppressed. I mean, if you've we talked about this in the interview, R- Ruth, there's a really great uh, documentary called RBG. It's about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And how she became a Supreme Court justice, her work um, supporting women, and getting you know basically equal rights for women in America. Um, she said one of the most difficult things that she had to do as a young attorney in the '70s, trying to, uh, she she represented um, a number of cases in front of the Supreme Court. I think she forget how many. I think she had six. I think she had eight and one six. I think that's right. Anyway, she. Uh, she won almost every case she brought up. And she said the thing that she realized was, I think, two things. One, she didn't want to react to anyone's baiting on, on women's rights. And two, uh, more importantly, she realized that when it's, when it's a Supreme Court of you know, white men, Um, they may not see the discrimination because they don't experience it. And so the first thing that you have to do is help them to understand and see what you're seeing when you're coming from um, a place of persecution, uh, rather than maybe just react or just scream or just try and, um, you know, uh, get everyone to stand up with you. I mean, sometimes it's just saying, hey, maybe this other side doesn't even understand what we're seeing and experiencing. How How do we help them see and experience it? so that they can they can be a part of the of the solution um so i posted this instagram photo uh from chicago from that screening and I, I used a quote from james baldwin that i posted in a collage of images and the quote was i thought was really really poignant so he says if we know then we must fight for your life as though it were our own which it is and render impassable with our bodies the quarters to the gas chambers for if they come for you in the morning, they will come for us that night. It's saying that basically, if you see someone getting dragged away, you got to stand up with them. Not because you're the one being dragged away, but because you will be the one who gets dragged away, away eventually. And at that point, you will want somebody standing with you and putting their bodies in the way so that so that somebody can't drag you off. That's how we generate freedom. That's how we, we create freedom. And that's how we protect freedom. Um, you know, it's funny. I wasn't planning to talk about the film again on this podcast, but then there was the shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh where 11 people were killed uh, and six were wounded on Saturday. By the way, one of those, um, they, they were all, you know, they were Jews. Um, the shooter uh, was a white man who walked into that synagogue, sat you know, two mornings ago, Saturday morning, and wanted to shoot and kill Jews. Um, and one of the people who was killed, and this is just uh, really, really, hurtful in a lot of ways, was a 97-year-old Holocaust survivor, somebody who survived one of the most horrific genocides in the history of the world and um, you know, lived long enough to be shot in a violent incident in a synagogue where they should have been protected here in America. Um, a good friend who's Jewish, whose father was a Holocaust survivor, a person who I, his name's Dan, a man I sat Shiv with, shiva uh, you know, shiva after his father died and he showed me his father's family tree. You know, it was, it was European with an entire generation, uh, basically almost wiped out by the Shoah, by what they call the Holocaust. He sent me this prayer on Saturday. I'm sorry, on Sunday morning. Um, I thought everyone might appreciate this, um, so this is what this is what he had sent to me. Um, he says, I, "I figured you might appreciate this. It's from a very close friend. She was in the first class uh, that ordained women rabbis in the conservative movement, and she was the first woman with her own pulpit in the western half of the U.S." So um, this is this is a prayer that she sent to to my friend Dan that he thought might benefit um, some of. Well, Linda Linda Midget was on this this text, as was uh, Larisha Hawkins, Dr. Hawkins from Wheaton, because he had come in embodied solidarity to participate in the screening of Same God in in Los Angeles. So he sent us this prayer, um, this this. Um, woman rabbi sent to him this this prayer she she writes dear neshuvah i was i was speaking this shabbat morning at congregation bet shalom just outside philadelphia when we learned the devastating news about today's horrific shooting at tree of life congregation like all of you my heart's breaking over the horrific slaughter of jews who had come to a sanctuary of god on shabbat to pray in peace I'll be returning to L.A. on Monday, and I'm certain there will be community gatherings and vigils that Neshuba will share with you, gatherings in the name of unity, in the name of hope, in the name of peace, to put an end to hatred, to violence, and to anti-Semitism. We will be joining together this Shabbat, and we'll recite this prayer together. A Prayer for the Dead of the Tree of Life Congregation by Rabbi Naomi Levy. We are devastated, God. Our hearts are breaking in this time of shock and mourning. The loss is overwhelming. Send forth comfort and strength, God, to grieving family members. Send healing to the injured. Send strength and wisdom to their doctors and nurses. Bless the courageous police officers who risk their lives to protect innocent lives. Shield us from despair, God. Ease our pain. Let our fears give way to hope. Let us join together as a nation to put an end to anti anti-Semitism, an end to hatred, an end to gun violence. Teach us, God, to honor the souls we have lost by raising our hands and voices together in the cause of peace because because Torah is a tree of life and all its paths are peaceful. Work through us, God. Turn our helplessness into action. Teach us to believe that we can rise up from this tragedy and banish the hate that is tearing our world apart. We must never be indifferent to the plight of any who suffer. We must learn to care, to open our hearts and open our hands, Innocent blood is calling out to us. God of the brokenhearted, God of the living, God of the dead, gather the souls of the victims into, you, into your eternal shelter. Let them find peace in your presence, God. Their lives have ended, but their lights can never be extinguished. May they shine on always and illuminate our way. Amen. Blessing of comfort and healing to you and your family. We look forward to praying with you at Neshuva this Shabbat. Blessings, Rabbi Levy and Neshuva. I received that text while I was heading up to watch the Los Angeles Rams play the Green Bay Packers at the LA Coliseum yesterday on Sunday, and it moved me to create a post about the shooting with a fundraiser link to the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh to do something. I forwarded the text to some friends who are Jewish immigrants and let them know that we were thinking about them. My friend Gary wrote this back. He said, amen to everything said. The world has gone mad on so many fronts. Blaming the Jews is not new but it does amplify the madness. Hopefully it inspires more tolerance and understanding that moves us toward a better world made up of good people. Thanks for sending to me." Then Gary's wife, Bev, also read it and sent me a note on his, on his phone. She said, "'Dave, Bev here, Gary just shared this "'and I wanted to say thank you for your sensitivity "'in sharing this with us.'" Sid, who's their, their uh, soon-to-be daughter-in-law, uh, once said to me about Iris and Glenn, our friends who we were actually driving up with, Bev, I think if another Holocaust arose, they'd hide us safely. And Bev says, I include you and Sissy, my wife, in this group. I replied, we have some special hiding places in our house. We're Dutch. We do this. <laughs> what I meant by that exactly is, is kind of what I wrote, that you know, I was raised with stories of the Dutch resistance during World War II and the stories of Dutch families who attempted to hide Jews from Nazis, attempting to send them to camps and of course the Dutch collaborators who were turning in fellow citizens and the Jews that they were hiding, both of whom were often sent to similar fates if discovered. Um, The Dutch are a tolerant people. The Dutch know what embodied solidarity is about. The Dutch have stood with people who are being persecuted where their lives were being put on the line in the same way that the people whose lives were being persecuted were being put on the lines. And that's part of our DNA. That's part of how I was raised. Tolerance, by the way, doesn't mean a person is relativistic, that they don't have specific values. Sometimes that gets confused. Uh, It simply means they believe in freedom in society and that people should be free to make choices about their lives. Because the freedom to choose also implies the freedom to make choices that I might disagree with. But if you're not infringing on my rights, then I need to protect you and yours. By the way, especially if I disagree with your choices, because that's only when it truly is freedom. Uh, you know, if I agree with you, if I'm just standing up when I agree with your choices, then I'm really not protecting anything. I'm just protecting myself. Um, and, and you know, something that my grandmother pointed out was, or, and Sarah's mother has also pointed out, is that tolerance isn't the avoidance of a value, isn't, isn't not knowing what you believe in. Tolerance is the difference between being specific and, you know, knowing what you like and being fussy, which is trying to make everybody else what you like what you like. You know, I like to use ice cream as an example. Of <laughs> I like, uh, I happen to like fish food ice cream from Ben and Jerry's. You know, that's being specific. That's knowing what I like and it's a very specific flavor. Me being fussy would be trying to make everyone like fish food. I mean, yes, I believe it is the greatest ice cream flavor, but I don't believe that everyone believes it's the greatest ice cream flavor. And so part of tolerance is saying you don't have to eat fish food. I'll protect and defend your choice to pick whatever flavor of ice cream you choose, even if it's something like butter pecan that I don't like. Um, In fact, many people would argue, unless I'm defending your choice of butter pecan, which I disagree with, I'm not really defending liberty at all. Um, You know, uh, if I don't stand up for you when they come for you, then who will stand up for me when they come for us? It's a really good question. The first Muslims in America were in Dutch New Amsterdam, later what we call today New York. The melting pot and thriving center of trade in America, the center of trade for the world today, uh, You know, Manhattan, is all spawned from the simple idea that if we protect another's rights, because they have inherent value, because they're human, as the Dutch would have said back in the 1600s and 1700s, because they are children of God and we are all children of God. We're all made in the image of the creator Um, because they have inherent value. Uh, then, Then we also create a place for each of us to practice our own beliefs when we defend somebody who believes differently than us. It also spawns this idea that if we have inherent value, then maybe we create a space to trade and share value with each other, to create something more than was there before because we each came to this space together. This is called creation of wealth in the most basic concept of of how that works. Um, More is made by people sharing and trading value, whether economically, socially, politically, or religiously, and the world becomes a better place when we have the space and freedom to do it. Sarah and I are watching a really killer TV show, an amazing series on Amazon TV called The Man in the High Castle. It's in season three now. It's all about what we would call possible world theory and philosophy, that there may be alternative realities in alternative universes, and we just happen to be experiencing one right here and right now. Um, In Man in the High Castle, the TV show explores what life in the USA might be like in the 1960s if the Axis powers, uh, particularly Japan and Germany, had won World War II and split the U.S. between them, kind of like we did with Germany. It's worth watching, particularly because, like, like many stories from World War II, the characters in the stories continue to have to make decisions about how and when to stand in solidarity with others, oftentimes people that they don't agree with or don't feel connected to. With people who are persecuted when it might cost them everything. All of this brings me back to a few stories I told in, in earlier episodes. Um, you know, it was about when I was asked at an internal company meeting by a general manager at one of our Asian markets, I believe it was Hong Kong, if I could share a story about our brand, Excess, and what, it, what, what, what story meant the most to me. And I chose to tell three stories, not one. Um, I told a story about being in the Ukraine during the revolution. I ter- told a story about dancing with the transvestite. And I told a story about a rainbow can we posted, although it wasn't really a rainbow can. Um, in the Ukraine, and I won't go into these stories in detail. You can listen to them in previous episodes. I think it was, um, well, I'll have to, well, we'll try and post uh, links to that, that again, but um, you know, I told a story about how I had been in Ukraine during the February revolution in 2000, I think it was 2013 or 2014, I can't remember. Um, it's in the podcast, and I wrote a long-form essay at Sojourners about it, about this experience. But I was I was told not to go in because it was dangerous, because there was revolution, uh, because there wasn't a government in Ukraine at the time. And I asked a simple question, will our distributors be driving and coming, you know, our business owner, partners, be coming from across Ukraine to celebrate the launch of our drink three days after the revolution? And the answer was yes. And I said, well, then I have to go. I have to go whether it's dangerous, because if our partners are going to be celebrating freedom in Kiev and risking their lives to be there, then it's I need to risk mine too. That's what being in embodied solidarity is all about. Either we believe in this value and freedom that hangs on our wall at Amway, freedom, family, hope, reward, or we take it down if we don't really believe in it, if we're not really willing to risk something for it. Um, and it was one of the more profound experiences of my life. My younger son, Willem, is going to Ukraine this weekend. He's going to meet with some of the um, the, the staff who were part of that uh, that that time, who were part of the revolution, and were part of how uh, how putting together these events for our our business partners, so that we could celebrate the launch of a new product, celebrate uh, being able to to build economic freedom so that we could have these other freedoms, social freedom, political, religious freedom, so we could feed ourselves and didn't have to rely on somebody else, which is what I think our business at its height brings to the world. Um, I told a story about uh, being in the UK when we were having an excess party, and one of our business partners, our ABOs, showed up. And he, uh, he identifies as a woman at times. He dresses as a transvestite. And that time, because it was a big party, he's a tall man. He's taller than me. He showed up in a, in a gown and, and high heels. And um, and when I noticed that other ABO partners were kind of laughing at him, I said to him, uh, you know, I, I went and asked him to dance uh, because I wanted to demonstrate that when somebody shows up in our midst who's, you know, who... Uh, who might be, and maybe it was unintentional, but when there's persecution, when they might feel uncomfortable, that's when we need to stand with them and make them feel comfortable in the space that we share together. And then the last one uh, was something that we posted on the Excess Nation site. Uh, Just as I was coming into uh, Amway to work as a vice president in 2015, you know, uh, one of our uh, most successful uh, ABO leaders is gay. A lot of, some of our staff are, are gay at Amway. Um, some our ABO partners, you know, we've got a lot of people in our business who, 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 who are gay. And when the Supreme Court um, in the United States approved gay marriage, uh, I said to um, our staff, you know, look, we need to do something. We need to at least tip our hat and say, congratulations, you have new freedoms. And it's not about whether or not uh, we all agreed or disagreed with uh, gay marriage. I happened to, but, you know, it's, it wasn't about agreeing with it. And it wasn't, I didn't actually agree with how the Supreme Court went about it. I thought, you know, there's a process that this should go through legally in the United States. And... You know, maybe nine justices isn't the best way to, to create new legislation. <laughs> um, but sometimes when America can't break through its own, its own uh, uh, indifference, that's when we need a Supreme Court to do it so we don't have another civil war. And, um, and so the Supreme Court did, and, and I think it, it made a lot of sense for us to tip our hat. And we posted a can that we had used previously. It wasn't a rainbow can, actually. It was, it's a can of the many flavors of excess in horizontal bars on a can and they're not in a a color spectrum they're not in a rainbow but we posted it and one of the little hashtags we had was love wins on it and um, you know that was all tip of our hat congratulations our distributors our partners people who've won new rights deserve our celebration of freedom because it is a value on our wall and um, you know and it was uh, that became a little bit (laughs) let's just say it became uh, a little bit of a, a hot spot for us uh, some 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 of our distributor leaders who are quite conservative thought I should be fired over it. Uh, the company did not do that. The company supported it a lot. They allowed us to keep it up. I was unwilling to take it down. I was willing to be fired over it. But I said, you know, it's when we stand in solidarity with our business partners, with our friends who don't have the same rights we do, when they gain those new rights... We need to celebrate it with them, especially if we disagree, and and that's when we have the opportunity to show that that we actually care, that we actually understand the risks. Each of these stories touched my soul. First, I think it, they touched me because I risked something for our partners who were being attacked or potentially persecuted in some way. They didn't have the same liberty, freedom, or space to make the decisions the rest of us did. Second, I realized that when I stood up and took a risk to help somebody, to protect them, to give them cover and or celebrate a new freedom that they had won. It empowered them, but it also created a space for them to coexist with me, to share the same liberties that I already had. And third, I think the expansion of liberty also created a new value in our relationships together. The shared solidarity of someone who risks, who doesn't have who doesn't have to to do that. With someone who has less, that gains a new freedom. That relationship runs deep, and that freedom creates connection that is hard to erase or forget. Both parties benefit. I'm not sure who benefits more, and I don't think it matters, but both parties benefit. Wealth is created, maybe not economically, but certainly in a social way that can extend in both directions, either downstream to the economic piece or upstream into political and religious uh, freedoms. So when Linda Midget. Again, you know, this friend of mine who, was a, who had won an Emmy, who was from Wheaton, um, when she called me about the way our alma mater was treating an African-American woman, and a tenured, you know, who was a tenured professor, uh, and asked me if I'd join her and help her with the same God story, it didn't take me long to say yes. I mean, I, I did check with my wife to see if it was okay to, to invest the money. But my answer was yes. It was just, I didn't know how much or how far I could go. Um, because I thought helping Larisha Hawkins and Michael Mangus tell their stories meant that maybe we'd get the support and embodied solidarity when we needed to tell our own story, if we needed to tell our own story somewhere down the road. So I'll continue to discuss ways we need to work on ourselves on this podcast, the interior work and the exterior actions. But I think a big part of the reason that I'm getting hit between the eyes with a with a two by four this week about embodied solidarity is because it's it's a lot more than just individual work. It's something that we have to do together. It's important to remember that if we want to break through barriers, the really big, gnarly ones in our own lives, selfless acts of service for others has to be a part of it. As, Michael, as Miguel Aguado said in his interview from Spain, they must be anonymous, not tied to some direct personal gain. Um, But I think the odd thing is when we act selflessly, or at least as selflessly as we can to serve another, the gains are both intangible and remarkable. The selfless acts of service are what ultimately liberate our souls. I'd strongly encourage you to join me in daily acts of service. Start today. Start this week. Try it and let me know what you think. This is an interactive project. I hope you're getting as much from this podcast as I am. Thank you for listening. I'd love your feedback, your questions, your concerns, et cetera. Please send me messages. Um, DMs seem to be getting through more easily than emails. Um, just go to Instagram. I'm David, D-A-V-E-E-D 58. Or you can go to Kick Aspirational. Um, both have links to the podcast. But I'd love to get uh, direct messages from you about questions, concerns, feedback, anything really. I just uh, Hopefully you're getting something out of this. You're participating in it. And you're breaking through barriers in your own life. Uh, just like I'm trying to continue to break through barriers of my own. Thank you very much, and uh, make sure that you are and you become kick aspirational, be kick aspirational this week. Thank you very much.